Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as we continue on our sermon series for Lent on miracles, I don't know how many of you got up early enough, especially with the time change, to see the paper this morning and saw the parade section. Anybody see that this morning? It's the article. I'm glad they finally caught up to me. The article is, Do You Believe in Miracles? Isn't that great? I've been doing a series now, this is my fifth week, and they finally came out with this. And it was really wonderful because what the article says, if and when you decide you're going to look at it, is that nearly 80% of Americans believe in miracles. Isn't that interesting? Nearly 80%. And what's fascinating about what it says in the context... There's a movie coming out. I don't know if you know that. There's a movie coming out about someone who experienced the miracles, and the focus of the movie is on miracles. And so that's part of the reason why this article. But it talks about what many Americans are actually looking for with miracles. They're looking either to be blessed by the Lord, or they're looking for some kind of healing. And if you think about, for those of you that have been here, you think about, and for those of you that haven't, let me tell you the miracles that I've talked about thus far. I've talked about the miracle of Jesus changing the water to wine. I talked about Jesus feeding the 5,000. I talked about Jesus healing the lepers of leprosy, the 10 lepers. And I talked about Jesus healing the paralytic. So thus far, what we talked about is people being blessed, if you will, that Jesus blessed people materially, that reveals he's Lord over creation, and that he healed people, exactly what the article's talking about. Except last week when I talked about the healing of the paralytic, what I also talked about is that Jesus revealed his priority when he healed the paralytic because he talked first and foremost about the forgiveness of sin. He wanted to show that he's interested first and foremost, in something eternal. That without the eternal, what does it matter if he heals someone physically? Because he's after their eternal life first. That the whole point and purpose of the miracle is to open the door for salvation and eternal life. To change their eternal destiny. That's the point of the miracle. To reveal his messiahship, the fact that he is in fact God, Lord over creation, Lord over salvation, redemption and eternal life. And the miracle that we focus on now delves into a whole nother realm of his messiahship and his lordship. That he's Lord over, if you will, the spiritual world, the demonic as well. Now, see, in the United States, 
Sometimes we're a little uncomfortable when we start talking about the demonic world. And it's really interesting when we hear something like this kind of healing, a lot of times our minds either run to, well, maybe that happened back then during the apostolic age, that there was, in fact, demon possession. Or maybe we think about that it was a superstition back then. Or maybe we think about that it happens in other places, but not in 21st century of the United States. It's not something that our minds go to in our Western culture. Now, I've done mission trips to five different countries over the years, and at least four of them, this is something their minds would go to. That there is, in fact, demon possession. Now, something we would probably be more comfortable with is talking about evil. That it's clear that there is demonic influence in our world. That there is evil in this culture. That we see it. We see it in violence. We see it in dishonesty. We see it in pornography. We see it in human trafficking. We see evil in so many different ways, if you will, the demonic influence in our culture. But when, it talk, when we think about demon possession, it's not something that often comes into our minds. And yet when I talk to clergy and I talk to people in these other countries, something they do think about. When I was in seminary, I did my clinical pastoral education at Delaware State Hospital. We called it CPE. Some dioceses required CPE and some dioceses didn't require CPE. So in the summer of 1983, because this guy in my diocese who was over the seminarians recommended this course to me, he had an agenda with me, I know, but he suggested this to me, and he said it's one of the best courses in the Northeast. And I thought about it, and I had read a statistic that 10 to 20% of people in your congregation will experience some kind of emotional or mental break. And we're all familiar with general hospitals, and people go through accidents and surgery and cancer, but we're not too familiar with mental institutions, and I thought this would be a great experience for me. I found out as I applied for the course and was accepted that you actually live on the grounds. That was an interesting experience, too. So when I arrived, we were given the opportunity whether we wanted to request an actual ward, and I requested the admissions ward because I figured that would give me the most exposure. And I also actually read the book, the DSM, at that time, the DSM-3, that would familiarize me with all the different diagnoses. And after two or three weeks of being there and experiencing the various uh, mental illnesses and, and diagnoses, the, the psychiatrist, the psychologist, the so social worker invited me in on the diagnostics when people were being evaluated. So it was a great experience for me. But you know one diagnosis that never came up when we were diagnosing patients? Demon possession. Never came up. It was never a possibility. Now, I had a man that came through who absolutely snapped out. They caught a code on him. 
When they call a code, you're supposed to run and help to hold this guy down. It took about four or five of us to hold him down. He had such strength, it was unbelievable. He was not any bigger than I was. And he looked at me in my face, and he said, if I get loose, I'm going to kill you. That's a pleasant thought. I believed him. Found out later that he had killed someone on the outside. After they shot him with about ten shots of Thorazine, I came back later and I sat in the room with him and he said, this was the next day actually, and he said to me, did I threaten you yesterday? And I said, yes. He said, I'm sorry. Makes me wonder. See, because I believe it still does exist today. There is clearly evil in the world. There is clearly satanic influence in the world. But one of the things that I'm also clear about is we need to have discernment if we're going to make those distinctions. Because I've seen abuse on both sides. I've seen people believe someone's possessed and they have no business because they don't have discernment. And Jesus even said that you need to sometimes with prayer and fasting discern. And I think one of the weaknesses sometimes in, in the United States because we are not aware spiritually. We're not looking for spiritual things a lot. Except for our own blessing. That we're not looking with discerning eyes. And I think we need to become more discerning. We need to become more discerning biblically and we need to become more discerning spiritually. And that's part of the challenge here. It's not that we're always equipped to deal with it. Because clearly the apostles weren't always able to deal with it. And clearly this town was not able to deal with it. But we need to be aware. And it's interesting the responses that come out of this passage. And I think surprising responses as it comes along. It's almost like the Jonah passage. I don't know if you caught in the Jonah passage. What is a prophet's dream, right? Did you catch that? I did a summary when I chose the reading and the passages. Jonah was a prophet. He was a chosen prophet. A prophet's dream is to preach and have people repent, right? What does Jonah do? He gets angry. I would be thrilled if every time I preach, all of you repent every time. But sometimes, responses surprise us. In this passage, there are several surprises if you don't catch it. The first 
is the demons' response to Jesus. Because if you know the reputation of demons throughout Scripture or the devil, from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve in the garden. What do we experience when we see Adam and Eve in the garden and Satan in the form of a serpent? Deception. Lies. Did God really say? You know what God really meant? And we see that today. That people question Scripture. People question what it says or they twist what it says. We see the same thing today. Because Satan is called the deceiver. Because Satan is called the father of lies. We see it when Satan confronts Jesus after 40 days in the wilderness when he's tempted. That Satan misuses and abuses scripture in order to tempt Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Jesus uses scripture properly in addressing him, responding to him. So it might surprise us that when Satan, in fact legion, multiple demons, are confronted with the presence of Jesus, the person of Jesus, that they say, what have you to do with us, Son of the Most High God? That they actually declare who He is so everybody hears. Because he can't do otherwise. When confronted with the reality of Jesus Christ. We're told in Philippians 2 at the name of Jesus. Every knee in heaven on earth and under the earth. Every tongue must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's why when demons are cast out, they're cast out in the name of Jesus. But Jesus Christ is the power of God. And there's no denying who He is. He may have caught Him off guard. He may have been so startled by His presence, but the reality is He can't deny who He is. That might surprise you. The second surprise, the people's response. After all this time, living in fear because they see this man out of control, fearful of him. They see this man released from his possession. They see the power of God at work and you would think, oh my goodness, this is so wonderful. We need to find out who this man is. And learn about God from him, they ask him to leave. Does that surprise you? How many times people are given the opportunity to come to know the Lord and turn away or turn him away? How many times people are given the opportunity to change their lives 
to experience the power of God for themselves, that people testify and don't want to have anything to do with Him. Because they're still bound by fear. For a different reason, maybe, but they're still bound by fear. Part of what this article says, and it's really, really fascinating, let me read to you again from this article. We're either shutting down in fear as we have never done before, or we're opening up to love as we've never done before. That's the option. Isn't it interesting this article in the Parade Magazine comes up with that? I think it's pretty good. It's true. See, because there's so many reasons and opportunities to shut down in fear. We can shut down in fear because of the economy, because of terrorism. Because we want to control our own lives. We don't want anybody else telling us what to do. With our families, with our time, with our resources. And so we shut down because we fear other people influencing us. Maybe they're living in fear because, obviously, if these are Jews, it wasn't their swine. It's probably some Roman guy. And they're fearful of the repercussions, and they're already in trouble because of this guy. They don't want to get in more trouble. We don't know, but they're bound by fear. They've been bound by fear before. They're bound by fear again, and they're afraid to let go of their own fear. When they could discover the power of God. And you might be surprised by Jesus. For two reasons. Number one. Surprised that he sent the man back. You know, we know in the past he's called his apostles to follow him. And yet this man he sends back. Why would he do that? Well, if anyone knows who Jesus Christ is and the power of God in his life, it would be this man. Because this man, in the depth of his spiritual being, knew demon possession. And he knew the cleansing power of God to reach down in the depths of his being and knew who Jesus was spiritually in the depth of his being. That he was the Lord God. There was no need to convince this man. So he was able to go back and be a witness. He was able to go back and live with gratefulness. He had nothing before. In his mind, he had everything now. He was grateful. Jesus knew he could send him. So he sent him back. The second surprise. Jesus allowed a whole herd of swine to perish for the sake of this man's soul. Does that surprise you? I remember the first time I... I read that, I thought, what a waste. How sad is that? I like animals. 
I like ham. I'm going to probably eat pulled pork later. You know, the thing is, if you really understand God's priorities, animals are not on the same level as humans. And we sometimes make that mistake in our culture. Consider the birds of the air and how the Lord provides for them. How much more value are you than they? And God allowed animals to be sacrificed as symbols of man's forgiveness. And how extravagant a whole, a whole herd of swine for this man, how extravagant that God sent his son to die for us. How extravagant. It's not just a herd of swine. It's the Son of God who died for us so that we might be healed spiritually when you really understand. God is always trying to reveal the depth of His love. Jesus is always trying to reveal the priority of God. That it's about forgiveness that it's about eternity. That it's about the Spirit first. And if we really understand, you don't have to be possessed to understand we're like this man. We're like this man. We need spiritual cleansing and healing. We're like this man. That salvation, the word salvation, is based on the word healing. That God sent his son, his extravagant love, for us, for our healing, for our salvation. And he sends us to be his witnesses, just like he sent this man. That if we really understand what God did for us, we would live that grateful life. We would live that obedient life. I think we downplay obedience today. It's not that we are earning our salvation. Don't misunderstand me. Obedience is not about earning your way to heaven. Obedience is about following the call of God on your life. And it's not just about the Ten Commandments. Because when we come to Christ and we experience that saving grace, and we are transformed by His power, we are called to be His witnesses as much as this man is called to be. That's the reality. That eventually Jesus would send the twelve and he would send the seventy-two out. And eventually he would give the great commission in Matthew 28 and Acts 1 where he would send all of his followers out 
to preach the gospel, to be His witnesses. That's what He wants. To send us out. Because there's a world out there bound in fear. There's a world out there that's demonized in one way or another because evil is pervasive out there. Unless you think it doesn't happen in the Western world, by the way, I left this out before. John Wesley, read his, his journal. John Wesley, who, by the way, started the Methodist church, didn't mean to, but he did. A lot of Methodists would say, no, really? He cast out demons? He did. If you read his story. There's influence, there's oppression, and there's possession, but the reality is there's evil around us, and the other reality is there's fear around us. And people are bound by fear, and people make choices by fear. And we are called to be His witnesses amidst that fear. Amidst that evil out there. That's what He calls us to. Because we're grateful for His extravagant love for us. God's economy is not the same as the world's economy. God's priorities are not the world's priorities. And God has called us. At the end of the service, there's a section of the service called the dismissal. In the dismissal, you are sent out to be His witnesses. And if you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, if you've experienced that healing, that transforming power, that extravagant love in your heart, then you are called to be His witness to a world filled with Satan's deception and fear of a people desperate for His love and for His hope. Let's be His witnesses. Let's be His healing presence. Let's pray. God, it does seem right now that there is so much chaos and fear in the world. But Lord, what a time. What an opportunity for the gospel. What an opportunity for people to know your extravagant love. For us to step out of our own fear. To live in your power. To live in your grace to live truly grateful lives and to be a blessing. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we would, in fact, be your witnesses. 
to a world desperate. Desperate for your grace. Desperate for your gospel. Send us, Lord, as you sent this man. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.